0: listening to Militantly Mixed. Main Hustle Media podcasts are recorded on the ancestral lands of the Chumash, Tongva, Karankwa, and Hohokam people. And I wish to pay my respects to the people of those nations, both past and present. Konnichi, what's up, cousins? Welcome to Militantly Mixed, the podcast about race and identity from the mixed race perspective. I am your Sir Auntie, Charmaine Fury, a.k.a. The Blasian Blurred. And this is another milestone episode. We are in episode 200 of Militantly Mixed. I did have a plan to do a special episode last week, but as I mentioned on social media, uh, the guests had ran out of my tank. Previous two weeks ahead of that episode, that expected episode, were pretty hectic. I had traveled out of town or state twice in that two-week period. I was trying to pull clips and trying to get the audience involvement in sending ideas of clips for me to pull and uh, some logistics stuff for our move to Mexico started to become a little chaotic and I, I just lost it. I just ran out of energy, of joy even. It was a pretty tough couple of weeks joy-wise. Uh, I learned about a great aunt that had passed away who I was uh, closer to when I was younger but um, and I haven't seen since 2013, but you know, it wasn't something I was expecting to hear, so that's got me thinking about my grandmother and things like that too so it's just been kind of an emotional couple of weeks I guess and I just kind of needed a few days to sit on the couch and not do anything which I did and now I feel a little bit back to myself that being said the chaos has begun um, it's not like I haven't preparing been preparing for this move out of the country for the last uh, year, but getting under the 30 day mark, which is where I'm at right now, uh, the it's just, it's just become chaotic. It's like, oh, I haven't gotten rid of enough stuff. Oh, eventually, I'm gonna have to empty out this apartment. Is all my stuff gonna fit in my suitcase? You know? My marriage certificate went missing. I've had to reorder it. My passport went missing from just August. I've had to reorder that and pay emergency fees and stuff like that. I'm out of money and I'm trying to make it work. So it's just been chaotic. So please bear with me. I'm so glad that I got all my interviews for this period done back in December and January because at least I know that I have episodes to release. Uh, The reason why last week skipped was because that wasn't an interview episode. It was going to be a solo episode, and I just didn't have it in me to produce. So thank you for everybody who sent kind messages about my notice about taking a a little break. I, I appreciate the support of this family so much, this Militantly Mixed family, because it does keep me motivated to keep going, knowing knowing that I'm not just doing this, like putting something out into the ether and I'm the only one that cares. Uh, when I see the responses from y'all, whether it's in social media or email form or what have you, I really feel like there, there's a purpose to this work that we do with Militantly Mixed. So thank you so much for helping me hit a 200 episode milestone. And as we look into the next couple months, when we will be hitting the fifth anniversary of Militantly Mix, I'm just, I can't stress enough how crazy it is that I've gone this far with one thing, because I am a person that just moves on so frequently to something else. But Militantly Mix has given me a purpose that I never really had in anything else that I did before, even if it was something I, I enjoyed doing. And so it's, it's, it means a lot that I've been able to keep up Militantly Mixed because guests, audience members, Patreon sponsorship, um, speaking engagement opportunities, things like this have popped up to be able to keep the, uh, the support, the motivation, finance, stuff like that going so that Militantly Mixed can still exist. So thank you so much for everybody for helping me get to episode 200. And before I share today's episode, which is going to run a little bit long, we did have a longer discussion. I cut out a very little for time, to be honest. I, I do just want to remind you all that we have the Be Your mixed Self Anthology still going. Uh, we will be receiving submissions until March 15th. So at the day that this airs, you'll have about 15 days left, 14, 15 days left to get your submissions in. As of right now, we're probably heavier on the poetry side than on the nonfiction essay side, so hopefully people will start getting those nonfiction essays in pretty soon. I've had a lot of note, like notes and DMs or emails like excited that this opportunity exists as people are starting to find out about it now that may not have been exposed to the show before. So we're actually starting getting entries from people that don't know Militantly Mix the show itself please go over to militantlymixed.com and click on the Be Your Mixed Self Anthology tab. Read through all those guidelines so you make sure that what you've written does qualify or what you will write does qualify. And then you can do your submission fees and submit your writing to Charmaine at militantlymixed.com. S is in Sam, H-A-R-M is in Mary, A-N is in Nancy, E, at militantlymixed.com. And uh, and we'll just see what happens. Uh, Teresa and I are both very excited That this exists, that we're finally doing this project. Um, We will start our reading process in April and we'll probably start announcing information about beginning the publishing process sometime this summer. So, this is the 2023 project, y'all. Help keep us going and help make it as big as we can possibly make it with getting those entries in. You do not have to be a professional writer, you don't have to be anything but your mixed ass self. And we just want to share mixedness with the world in the same way we do through these episodes of Militantly Mixed. We want to do it in your words in the anthology. So get those entries in uh, because we have until March 15th at 1159 p.m. Eastern time. And then we're going to go ahead and close those books for the period of time. Mind you, this is also something we're trying to do every year, but we would love it if the first one, you know, really started with a bang. So let's make that happen. Also, if you would like to support the show, you can go to patreon.com slash mixed and sponsor the show as low as a dollar a month to as high as anything you wish. There are different reward levels depending on what you choose. And for some of y'all who are expecting awards like physical things um, a lot of those have gone out already I did get a bounce back with an incorrect address so I have to reach out to that person and try to find find them again also there's some folks that are at the t-shirt level that hasn't sent in or responded to their t-shirt message yet those are coming from patreon even though I'm writing them so please make sure if you see a patreon email from militantly mix that you do respond through there so that you can get those rewards sent out to you and if you'd like to support the show by dropping some coins in the tip jar you can go to paypal.me slash mix. and uh, shout out to aaron and nina i see y'all have recently dropped some coins in that tip jar again and I, I know that you do that every so often so thank you so much for help keeping me going that way as well and i think that's it i am trying to rush through this intro so that we can get into this episode but i think that's all the things yes I think that's all the things. All right, today we are joined by Kim. They are a Filipinx and Chinese-American heritage, uh, pronounced she, they, sha. We kind of discovered each other through Rohan Jolie and have been sort of following each other for, I wanna say almost a couple of years now. Uh, but we had a really good conversation about uh, a lot of aspects of like multiple layers of mixedness, multiple levels of immigrants, combining activism and art, And it was just a really great conversation, so I'm looking forward to sharing it with y'all. Ahead of that, though, I do just want to let y'all know near the end of the episode, uh, Kim does mention an event that is coming up on March 4th, which I'm going to put the information in the show notes for a releasing of a zine that is about safety and solidarity uh there's going to be an event at culture labs in new york uh so again i'm going to put all of that information in the show notes so please check that out also you can check their social media account because i will on instagram i will be sharing whatever the organization is sharing so that y'all if you are in the new york area you can support another militantly mixed cousins work along with the work of a lot of other uh creatives in the um Asian-American space. Uh, So please, yes, check the show notes. Also, I guess this is one more announcement. I have been trying to get caught up with the transcripts for the episodes. You may have noticed if you go to militantlymixed.com and click on the episodes tab, there are some episodes that have a transcript listed already. I am gonna have to manually do that backlog though. So while I do have an AI software that helps me create the transcript, I still have to go through and manually make corrections, which does sometimes take quite a long time And so I'm getting as many done in advance as I can. But with things being as chaotic as it is, it's kind of slipped behind again. I'm also trying to catch up on episodes from the past as well, which, again, it'll come as it comes because it's still manual work. And until I make a little bit of money on this show to be able to pay someone to help me with that, I'm still a one main show. I get it done when I get it done. That being said... If you head on over to militantlymix.com and click on that episode tab just to check and see if the episode you want has a transcript, there might also be that extra information. If there is an event or a product or an art piece or a podcast or whatever the guest is into or doing, I will have something on that page dedicated to that episode so you can go to those links directly there as well. So please go ahead and check that out. So without further ado... Please join me in welcoming our 200th episodes cousin, 200th episodes cousin of Militarily Mixed, (laughs) Kim, aka Keech. today I am joined by Kim. Kim, why don't you uh, introduce yourself to the audience and we'll get into it.
1: Excellent. Hi. Yeah, thank you for having me. My name is Kim. I am a Queens-based uh, graphic design major and um, of Chennai descent. That's a uh, Filipinax Chinese American and my pronouns are she, they, Sha
0: we've actually been kind of following each other for a little bit now. um, And I know that you do, you do work with your art and solidarity and things like that. You want to talk a little bit about what you do?
1: Sure. And um, yeah, it's really funny. So I found militantly mixed through the organizer, performer extraordinaire, Rohan Julie Mm -hmm. of Blasian March. And it was just so cool. I think from, seeing their interview with you it kind of opened up more um i kind of went down a rabbit hole where i also found like mixed asian media Mm -hmm. and other um platforms for mixed folks to converse and um you know really get to talk about their experiences which i love um i know i don't necessarily look it but it's being um you know being a mixed race person it's it's been kind of tricky to navigate and find other people to talk to but I I think having grown up in Queens it's I've been really lucky where it it took a while maybe up until high school to really find uh friends to talk to about Mm. that but yeah it's I do feel lucky in that regard and briefly I'm also the co-founder of diverse streets initiative it's a an informal grassroots art collective
0: Mm. I think so you said something that i immediately was like oh we're gonna get into this i don't you said i know i don't really look it are you referring to an obvious and quotation fingers mixed person like someone that really does look half and half of something
1: sure i mean sometimes well no i'll put it this way so 90 percent of the time i get i i get mistaken for being korean Mm. which is fine, but I think it also just got to the point where people asked so much. And at the time I was working as a barista, I literally wanted to put out tip jars where, cause it, like that's just so that only because that is how much customers have asked yeah. me that question. But um, yes, that is what I'm referring to.
0: <laughs> I feel like um, as a fellow mixed Asian, I think, and, and maybe other mixed folks get this too, but I think when it comes to being a mixed Asian, people will ask you what the kind of Asian you are as the most Asian person they have contact with, the most, I can't speak words now for some reason, the kinds of Asian they have most access to. So like if they grew up and there were a lot of Koreans at school, you're automatically gonna be Korean, right? You know, that kind of a thing. Um, Whereas someone like me who, with the, the black, Japanese and white, I'm even less Asian looking and I think so. If I tell someone I'm Asian, they go down the here's the list of all the Asians I'm aware of and so that that's what they do with me because I don't overtly look Asian necessarily it, until I shave my head, then for some reason everybody knew I was Asian, which was really interesting. <laughs> that sent me through a whole another a whole a whole another thing. I also think it's a good idea to put out the tip jar just for or your Venmo or your Cash app if someone's like, "You're Korean, right?" and you'll be like, "$5. You put put money in this and then we can talk or not talk, whichever, but put money in it. (laughs) It (laughs) Do you, do you feel like you identify more with one culture or uh, over the other? And that's why being accused of being a different kind of Asian than you are kind of throws you?
1: Yeah, you know, it's so funny because it is kind of complicated in that regard. Um, So my grandparents are originally from China Mm. And possibly even beforehand, um, my ancestors might have been from Vietnam as well. Mm. Um, And when they immigrated here uh, to the Philippines, excuse me, um, my one of my grandparents is a Filipina. Mm. And so my parents grew up learning Tagalog, learning Visaya. And they don't so maybe some of my other relatives do like some of them have retained like some mandarin but
0: Mm -hmm. otherwise
1: it's mostly they they understand filipino culture Mm -hmm. they understand uh the language and the politics that go behind it uh so that's kind of what i grew up um learning at home
0: yeah Yeah. i mean i get that the not look like the thing you identify the most of even as a mixed person ends up being a whole mess of of especially when you're seeking that validation you're like just please believe me who cares what my face is telling you like this is where i'm from
1: right and um yeah so growing up like you said have classmates who would say like oh are you chinese japanese korean and once i said i was like my parents are filipino they would like no idea mm-hmm. what it was and, and that's fine because there were a lot of other places that i didn't know about growing up but it also felt like maybe Maybe we were kind of just making it up. Mm-hmm. Which sounds a bit bonkers, but um yeah, especially primarily where I grew up, it was mostly Italian, Irish, Jewish neighborhood. Mm-hmm. And I didn't really I don't think I yeah, and then primarily like Chinese, Japanese, Korean classmates. However, I didn't the the Chinatown in our neighborhood is about like maybe twenty minutes away. Mm. And just being a small kid I didn't really have access unless my parents were going. Right.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we have so many layers. I mean, as Asian American from Asian American immigrant families or multigenerational, like they've been they emigrated a while ago, but you still have contact with them like your grandparent, like in my case, my grandmother, that we have to convince people at all is ridiculous. Like we really would be just like, see that little Japanese lady. she Yeah, I'm, that's that's why, you know, that kind of stuff is really frustrating because you are what you are, you know. Yeah, I hope that what got you into the the artwork and and utilizing it for um, opening conversations about solidarity and and safety and things like that? For is it more specifically geared towards the, like Asian safety and things, given what's happening in the world, or is it just a general solidarity type of work?
1: Yeah, it's a it's a little bit complicated. I I guess if that's I know I've been saying that a lot, but I, I guess when I look back on how art's been for me. I think I just wanted to be able to articulate stories that have been in my brain for a while, and put it in a way that's one coherent, two um, would be relatable, and three would be able to touch up on on the subject matter so strongly where the people who read it and they and they know, or they can they relate to it. They they feel seen. They feel heard. And that's kind of one of the. Past projects I've been able to do in 2021, my short comic Queens I Love You But You're Bringing Me Down was chosen as one of I believe like five projects by the Catalyst Commission's, excuse me, the Creative Sanctum's Catalyst Commission um, by Sharon Chin and I was able to kind of talk about the the remnants of of racism within the borough and it meant a lot to me because I actually got to meet other people from Queens and they're like holy shit thank you like this this is I know exactly what you're talking about. I know these areas. This is our home. This is yeah. where we grew up with. So I'm I'm really grateful to do that. And I think twenty twenty kind of just gave us or at least it gave me the opportunity to kind of have more of that attitude to just throw things against the wall and see what sticks. Yeah. Only because at that point I was like life's too short, you might as well just get it out there while you can.
0: Right. Um yeah, I feel like the the pandemic taught us that life was both too short and too long not to try something, whatever, whatever that was. I feel like when I mean, I was already doing the podcast at the time, but the pandemic taught me that that's actually all I want to do. Like, you know, I don't want to try to figure out how to balance having the podcast and having a job like I wanted to figure out how to how to just do the podcasting because this this work seemed more important and granting me access to people you know, like you, like Rohan, that are doing work where their mixedness fuels an aspect of, of what they do. And what you said about the um, Queen's I love you, but you're bringing me down, that other people from the borough were like, Ugh. I mean, it's just one of those moments of representation happening right in real time and in meat space that someone else needed reflection in some way, shape or form. And, and that can be really broad, like us as mixed people all the way down to, Specifically, mixed people in Queens, or you know, mixed people, a mixed Asian person in Queens, or something like that. In your case, I I guess I haven't actually had too many people that were multiple kinds of Asian mix, which I think is a fully different type of complication than just like being a mixed Asian in general. Maintaining, I guess, so it's like multiply immigrant status family, right? So China to Philippines, Philippines to here. When did it happen? Do you know?
1: Yeah, uh, in the early '80s, because Ferdinand Marcos had mm. just driven the country to such poverty, um, my parents were able to to immigrate here. I believe there was just a huge opening for nurses, and mm. I believe it was Vox's article, or um, it was either that or another Philippine ex organization that was kind of hinting that you know essentially the American as as is, as it always is with the discussion of like immigration and everything that, you know, there are certain jobs that people mm-hmm. here do not want to do. And that just opened up a whole platform for uh, immigrant workers for better or for worse. And, you know, I, for worse, I mean, because they're not being paid what they should.
0: Right. Yeah. Yeah. And there were multiple waves of specific, like this is this is what actually people don't talk enough about is the American imperialism that led to so many Filipino nurses primarily, but some some doctors as well, because they literally just set up schools in the Philippines to train people to to be nurses and and come here, get their pass i I guess to come here, and yeah so many so many families are affected affected by that being the reason why they came here, whether or not they'd even have wanted to have done that if like all privilege and access was available to them, is this what they would have wanted to do when they came oh. here?
1: My God! Thank you so much for bringing that up. Just because, like you said, um, since Spain sold the Philippines to the U.S., that's when those assimilation programs opened mm-hmm. up, and that's why there's just so many uh, Philippine ex-nurses. Like here, the, I think they only make up four percent. However, I believe one third of that four percent were killed during lockdown because mm. of the pandemic right, and right. everything. So it's, to just see to see how the impact of that like almost a century later. Mm-hmm. Um, and then to see the the Stop Asian Hate movement arise in part because of that, it was just, I think that was another um, driving force for me to, to just make art as an homage to that too. Mm-hmm. Because like you said, people like our parents, they did not have the options to figure out what do I want to do in life? Mm-hmm. It was, this is what will make you financially stable. So you don't have to worry about not being able to eat later, mm-hmm. and you're gonna do that,
0: right? Survival versus li- living, I think, is is such a huge part of a lot of the reasons why some of our families came here. And then what's weird about that is that we become something different, like the products of of that voyage to get here. We become something so so different and removed that it's it's tough to look back at our like you know home countries and and feel feel connected. So in your case, in your household, were you upholding predominantly, mostly, I guess, the Filipino culture? But did you have access to aspects of your Chinese culture as well?
1: Honestly, that's something that I kind of mourn here and there mm. because um, before the pandemic, actually, my lolo passed away, mm. and he, he, um, he assimilated into Filipino culture. He learned Tagalog, um, but there were times where, for, there were times where my parents and their siblings were growing up they would hear him sing in either Cantonese or Mandarin Mm. and they couldn't tell me what the song titles are so that's something that I'll I'm never oh you can't find them right like I'll never be able to find it unless I literally sit down with them and just maybe peruse through YouTube and just Mm -hmm. like you know was it this was it this and so I, I didn't really have that connection, unfortunately, to Chinese culture, unless it was uh, through my friends, classmates here and there. Because mm. um, I kid you not, even during Chinese New Year or the Lunar New Year, I was like one of the only few Asian kids that still went to school
0: and they Same, because like, Japanese don't. <laughs> yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah, same. <laughs> when yeah. you're trying to find Asian validation and then you're like the one Asian that doesn't do Lunar New Year, you're just like, wait, what? <laughs>
1: everyone's like what are you doing here I'm like it beats me <laughs> oh my gosh! i think like once or twice um my parents have brought home like you know the, the moon rice cakes mm. and then it was just on the plane they're like yep there you go that's it that's <laughs> it. that's how new you year. celebrate right that's, <laughs> that's how we celebrate <laughs> um but no it was actually nice um i i finally got to go to uh chinatown in manhattan to experience chinese new year for the first time oh, okay um, yeah, so that that was like that was really incredible, and I know with the you know with the our, the younger generation in our family, we try to at least incorporate that so they can at least have a good time with it mm. and not be as confused as we were.
0: Yeah, so you don't lose it altogether. I I think um the tough thing, and in, in my experience, which I don't know is is quite how you did it, is like when my grandmother came here, she wanted to be American. She she seemed to like she was she was a child during World War II. And the propaganda was such that like Americans were cannibals. And so it was your duty as a good Japanese to kill yourself with poison if the Americans came so that they would eat you and die from the poison too. And she was a child. This is what they're telling her as a child. But when the Americans came, I don't know why they didn't immediately kill themselves, but the Americans were throwing chocolate bars at the kids. So it was my first, my grandma's first exposure to chocolate, and my grandma's first exposure to Americans in the flesh. And I think that created an obsession with her, so that by the time she was in her, you know, young t- late teens, early twenties, she wanted to marry an American. This is what she's told me. And uh, she dated one guy who got deployed. Uh, you know, they were stationed in Japan during Korean War, uh, and then she met my grandfather, and she's like, "Yep, you'll do." and married him and came here and had you know these American children. And so there was the part of the American military that ass- forced her into assimilation, like literally put her in domesticity classes and tried to make her an American wife. There's that version of assimilation. And then there's her own version of it, which is Clark Gable. She was obsessed with Clark Gable. She wanted to marry him. I don't know what she was going to do about my grandfather but had she met clark gable she was going to do everything in her power to marry that guy so there was like that version of it so when i come along and i'm like i want to be japanese she's like no no we've already we've already left there don't you know don't do that or the weirdness of like why are you so curious about where i come from because she was willing to leave it behind and i think there's a mix of that with with uh, those of us that are asian mixed asian is is that like the reason they left dictates how much access we're given, or how much access we accidentally receive just by, you know, living in the household. I don't know where I was going with that, but I—it's you know, just one of those things. that was like I noticed as I'm getting older how much work it takes for me to gain access to things. When I I literally had a Japanese woman in my house growing up, you know, like I ate the food, I, I heard the language sometimes. She wouldn't teach it, but I would hear it. You know, we watched the movies and the TV shows and all that other kind of stuff. And yet I'm still sitting here at 45 years old going, oh my gosh, I can't believe I didn't even know something that I learned on, you know, TV or the internet about Japan. And then I get frustrated by that. In, in your case, do you have, you know, you said the thing and that's what that's what touched me is the idea of like your your Lolo songs being gone and short of you like accidentally coming across another person singing it maybe and going, oh, my gosh, that's familiar to me. What is that 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 is gone now? Um, And I just wonder sometimes, like what's missing from, you know, in my world too. like what's missing from Japan that I don't have access to anymore? yeah that's just one of those tragedy things i think about especially because asians are so willing to assimilate Oof,
1: gosh you hit the nail right on the right on that um yeah i where do i there's so many things i want to touch upon that i'm like where do i even start it's so funny that you mentioned clark gable because for one of my lolos not not the one that previously mentioned there's this the other lolo apparently was in love with the classic film actress mirna loy Mm. and so i think when uh he was you know in his elder years he was living with my folks and he would like they were you know they were just trying to make conversation he would just talk about classic film actresses that he Mm was into he was into that wasn't that were american and uh, yeah that assimilation is pretty strong my my lola his wife was had eventually married um I believe an American soldier and that is how she emigrated here and mm. that's how some of my other family members were able to emigrate as well so there it's it's crazy I know Joe Coy already made that joke regarding his parents <laughs> like so it's just it's bonkers how ingrained that is and once she emigrated here you know she was in the south she was in Georgia for like 40 years so assimilating was probably another form of survival for
0: her mm-hmm, um mm-hmm. like she
1: still spoke Bisaya. i think she's still like a proud filipina it's just she you, you can just tell by the way that you know our our family members like you said the way they talk about certain things like it's just and it's just so deeply ingrained and there's also the idea of white adjacency mm-hmm. with a lot of um AANHPI a- folks, mm-hmm. but you've definitely like really hit the, the nail on the head. I think some of the things that feel sad for me in terms of Filipino culture mm. is when, um, and, and I don't mean it, I'm, I'm not using Filipino in a way where it's like, because I know certain people like within the, certain folks like in the diaspora, they feel like the... I, you know, I guess just because it's twenty twenty two, we're all trying to be inclusive with language. Sure. Um, so I'm I'm not trying to say it in a way where it's like I'm using like the masculine in mm-hmm. terms of Filipino. I think I just because it's more familiar to people. That's the only reason why I'm bringing it up here.
0: Fair. And I don't know yeah. if the conversation has happened as much with um you know Filipino Filipinx as much right. as like Latino Latinx Latine. Right. like. I've heard that on the, the Latin side. I don't know that it's happening quite as much on the, I guess, specifically Filipino side because I'm not hearing other Asians do that with their terms.
1: Yeah, I'm I'm still honestly figuring it out, figuring that out for myself. And that's why I feel like Jinai is kind of just the most, the best thing, at least for me sure. to, um, to describe myself. Because apparently um, for a long time, Filipinos were... Considered Pacific Islander, and that's not Mm
0: -hmm. even true
1: anymore. We're more um, Austronesian um, than a Pacific Islander. Mm -hmm. So, and
0: honestly, I I love a hybrid term for us. Like whatever our deals are, the way that it feels representative, you know, personally representative, inclusive in your own in your own deal. I, um, and just one other way of allowing us to connect to say, like, you know, I may look this way, I culturally identify this way here is a way for me to tie those two things together you know i think that's important i know not everybody's into it but for me if if i have a guest that has one i I definitely want to know like what's your term because i i love it i love how we find our own you know we stake our own claim and what we are i think that's cool i think it's fun
1: yeah i love that it's it's different for everybody um yeah, I've uh, I've had some exes who were also of mixed race descent. One of which uh, was Filipino, but because their parent was was not in their life, they they associated with their other cultural identity because that's their fam- like, that's their family. True. Yeah. Everything. yeah.
0: Yeah. Um, yeah. I found that it to be mostly difficult when you look like the family member that's not present. <laughs> you know. Oh gosh. yeah. <laughs> like, how yeah. do you identify when that? When at your home, you're not learning from the, you know, that group that you look the most like. I think your art is that how you process some of the the stuff that you hadn't had ways to communicate about growing up in terms of your identity, or is it is it not just all identity based art that you do too?
1: For me, it's not necessarily identity based, um, or I I try to do fun or like silly things too, but I think. I think with what I learned from my graphic design program, I kind of took to heart um, is that as designers, we the idea of design is kind of like propaganda, but we have to (laughs) use it in a responsible manner. So that I kind of take very serious or I try to take very seriously. So and I think it just came up with the idea that I'm kind of on a. A borrowed time mentality that's just mm. how i do and so for me i just want to if there's a way to get the work that i want to get out then that's that's just tr- kind of like how i prioritize projects
0: is that the like COVID that. response of just like life covet taught you how short life was and that's why you feel you're on borrowed time or is there something else going on there
1: Sure, it's a mix between COVID and I think, um, so on Instagram, my in my bio, I put that I am every Asian parent's worst nightmare. I'm a graphic <laughs> design major, just because um, art is not always so highly encouraged sure. or non, um, non-medically related work yeah. of sorts. So I feel like because I went back to school late, that is my borrowed time mentality. Mm. Um, to do this program and so it it, and it's funny because i think to answer your previous question if there are things that i feel lost or like left out on in terms of like filipino culture for me um one of the biggest issues that i try to tackle is um well at the time it was uh the corrupt extrajudicial killings of um Rodrigo Duterte's regime, and then now it's that Bongbong Marcos is back in Malacan Mm. Palace. And so, uh, especially because there's a lot of red tagging going on in the Philippines, Uh, red tagging is when, if you, if the Filipino government knows that you are speaking out against what um, atrocities they're creating um, against uh, Filipino citizens, they will tag you as a terrorist. God oh, um, damn! I think because it's red tagging, it's it's a communist label, but communism and terrorism has been um, kind of clumped one in the same term. So that is something that people outside of the Philippines are trying to utilize because a lot of people in the Philippines are scared, um, rightfully so, just because people have been shot in the street. Um, What is kind of scary now is that under Duterte's, in 2020, Duterte passed the uh, anti-terror law. So it doesn't matter if you're in or out of the Philippines, if they know that you're talking about it, you could essentially be red tagged. And if you set foot on Philippine soil, you can be detained up to two weeks without being given an explanation of any sort.
0: Oh my gosh. So they're looking for people that are even living elsewhere.
1: Yes unfortunately that is currently what's happening and that is why um that's kind of why i've been making the artwork that i've been trying to make Mm
0: -hmm. and that's
1: kind of been um the scary and hard conversation that um people have been having with families including with their families including myself um just because if i ever try to have conversations about it with my family they're like "Well, we don't live there anymore that no longer affects us um and it's been it's been really strange because it's like it's affected you so much that you had to leave. Right. Um yeah, you had yeah. to like leave your family behind and everything. Um and and th- in, in a way, I don't know. I guess it's just that um I guess it's just that mental the, the way I look at it, parents are just people who have kids. So their way <laughs> of kind of like dealing with certain things is how they've been taught. So whenever I try to um talk about it they kind of just laugh it off and just be like well this doesn't concern you and also there's no um i believe the term is like just solely um it's complicated because if you are so because some of my family emigrated from china because they even if they were born in the philippines they're not automatically considered a philippine citizen
0: oh okay. for that reason yeah so
1: there's always that identity. there's always that like identity confusion Mm. As to like, are you Filipino? Are you Chinese? You're mm. in Chick, and so especially because I'm not born there, we're not Filipino Americans are not seen as Filipino.
0: Uh, Japanese is the same. same yeah, yeah, yeah,
1: exactly. Yeah, I'm sorry if that was like long-winded. but No, that no,
0: is... no. You're right. no. It that that does help, and it's it. <sighs> That's one of those things, too, that I for me is also a point of of frustration is that, um, you know, I've several times have claimed being Japanese in front of my Japanese grandmother and her saying, you're not Japanese and me not understanding what she's saying when she says that because I didn't no one taught me that. Right. Um, No one told me that to Japanese being born there is what makes you Japanese, not the ethnicity. Right. right? And so for her, she's like, I'm not Japanese anymore. I'm American. And I'm like, yeah, but that's nationality. That doesn't have anything to do with who, because I grew up here where ethnicity and culture is such a big part of what makes you able to claim something, right? Sure. And so that being told by the person in your family that is Japanese, that looks Japanese, that you're not Japanese, it's just like, oh, the invalidation, you know, It's just like, yeah But if your country is also saying like, you. It's, it's almost like the idea of like, it's cute that you think you are Japanese in my case, or, you know, Filipino in yours or whatever, like that. That's uh, like that's sweet. But here's all these reasons why you don't fit. And and as a mixed person, it's a it's an extra hit because you're already dealing with the whether externally or internally, all of us have at some point that I'm not enough of idea right and so when your country's telling you you're not from (laughs) the country that your family comes from uh, you know it just it always hits that one's still to this day 45 years every time I hear it I'm just like oh man I wish I wish that wasn't the case
1: no same there are times where I'm like I'm a grown adult it doesn't affect me and then once it happens I'm like standing in the shower I know you're
0: 12 again just crying (laughs) I know exactly what you're talking about you're just like please let me like that's where i start to get a political in a way that doesn't make sense that's when i'm like this is why we should have open borders that none of us get to claim you know <laughs> even though i still want access, like my whole reason is that i want access to this culture that um i descend from and i feel like i think there's different parts of like the diaspora holds different things there is the you are no longer from this country or like the people that you're connected to aren't from that country anymore there's that aspect of it but i think there's also the aspect of it of just like collectively the culture decides what you're allowed to claim you know yes. i didn't choose to leave japan right my grandmother chose to leave japan she shared enough of japan with me to make me want to reclaim aspects of it but japan is telling me no or the culture or the whatever is telling me no because you're mixed because you're american because all these reasons this is why you don't have access to this thing and um then so that's when you have this tragedy of loss this like mourning that we go through as the children of immigrants is the songs of your family certain foods that maybe you remember as a child, but no one remembers how to cook anymore because the grandparents cooked it, but your parents didn't. And so now you can't, right? And it just, it's, it's so quick how fast you lose it. Like I, if I think about it, my grandmother came to the United States in the late 50s. Wow. She was talked told by the military not to teach her children Japanese. So my mom and her sisters don't really speak Japanese. There's just some words that they know kind of a thing. And then you get to me and if I'm not getting it from my mom, I'm only getting it when I'm living with my grandma or when I visit her or something like that. I have what Japanese I have, but if she's not gonna teach her kids, she's not gonna teach her grandkids. And so now at 45, I'm still taking classes with a tutor to try to just try to a little bit understand, you know, and I'll never be, even if I get to a point of being conversational, I'll never really have like that sort of institutional understanding of, of Japanese language, and I'll just learn how to speak it, right? Um, and I feel like if we if we were able to maintain our culture and still participate in the, the culture of the new country, we'd be a lot richer. But as we start to forget, just through the passage of generations, the passage of time, as we start to forget where we're at, we start to have those same problems that like divide us anyway and so when i get excluded in some way shape or form that's when i'm like all right then nobody gets (laughs) x that's when i go to the extreme of just like open borders you know no one can claim a a nationality no one can claim this or whatever it's it's more of a joke than anything but there are times when it hurts that much that it's just like why can't i access this thing my grandmother my grandmother who i grew up living in her house you know that's who it's from why can't i access where she comes from um, it seems very oddly un unfair, you know that we would lose that.
1: Gosh. Um, yeah, it really does feel like a, a use it or lose it mm-hmm. kind of thing unfortunately. And that, that makes me wonder like I, I would like to ask you, do you feel like because you know how certain certain states or certain towns throughout the country have bigger populations of certain cultural identities? Mm-hmm so for me it's like we definitely have a spot in new york sure. where a lot of filipinos congregate however california and i believe like hawaii hawaii have the biggest population mm-hmm. so i feel like well dang well for and that's not to say that i'm not grateful to like grow up in queens new york i sure. love queens i love if there's ever a chance i get to talk about or represent queens i'm yeah. totally down for it. But however there are times where i think like well man if i if i was if my parents moved to like the bay area or something mm. or like moved to hawaii would i be able to have a better not better but like i guess a cultural a stronger cultural understanding or would i have been able to um learn to la- pick up the language mm. a little bit quicker in comparison so i wanted to ask is there a place that you that kind of makes you feel that way
0: <laughs> That's the worst because i I did intentionally move to the Japanese part of l a when I moved to l a the most recent time that I've lived there, and I couldn't have felt less Japanese than I do like just generally the way that I feel Japanese just right now sitting in my own home, like I felt less Japanese when I lived in a Japanese neighborhood, and now I live in a predominantly black neighborhood which is very similar to the neighborhood I grew up for in Long Beach, so like you. I haven't I actually haven't lived in Long Beach since I was seven uh, 15 and yet any opportunity for me to represent for Long Beach, I'm still just like, you know, ride or die for my city and stuff like that. (laughs) But like so those the neighborhood I live in right now is a third ward of Houston historically black community, and it's very similar to the one that I grew up for in California. When I got here at first, not now, but at first I felt less black when I moved oh, to wow. the black neighborhood and when I was in the Japanese neighborhood in LA, I felt less Japanese. And so I was like, what is wrong? Like, what is this as a mixed person that to, to go to the place where my people congregate, I now suddenly don't feel enough of. The difference is that more often than not, I feel more black and I'm saying more with the quotes, right? I feel, I feel more black or I have more access, uh, more maneuverability in black spaces than I have in Asian spaces. And then, and then Japanese. And I say Asian before Japanese because Japanese don't tend to stick in a community. Like there are some Japan centers or Japan towns. San Francisco has one, which is the one I grew up going to the most. LA has two, DC used to have one, but whether or not it's still present, it's hard to say. But there's not really a whole bunch of places where like, yes, all the Japanese people are kind of in this community. So it's easy for me to maneuver Black spaces as a mixed Black person, where even the community uh, uh, accepts me as Black and acknowledges that I'm mixed. I don't have the equivalent of that in a Japanese space. So to answer your question, I would say like the dream would be, yes, I could just pop into one of these communities and stuff like that. But even like, um, so the Maketo, the Japanese market where I was living, my husband would come with me and he would watch me like, physically code switch into my Japanese thing when I was there. And then as soon as we'd walk out the door, everything would change. And he would laugh about this because I was not aware it was happening. We walk into the maketo, I get all my stuff, I get to the to the cashier, and all of a sudden I'm making sounds instead of words that are common to Japanese people. Like They ask me a question, I'm like, mm, you know, I'm making these sounds my body language had changed like i kind of hunched over and i'm in deference position and stuff and then as soon as we walked through those doors my back straightens up and i start walking and so like i went back to like the more black version of me as soon as i left the store so like yes and no like i can kind of like literally for me right now the most japanese i get to feel is when i go to the grocery the japanese market though it's I the only that. place i have
1: yeah I mean, I I love that though. I love that at least you have a designated place where it's like, this is is where I'm in my element. This is where I feel. Would you say you feel safe or that you feel-
0: I'll be honest, in a a Japanese space specifically, I will feel like an imposter. In an Asian American space, since 2020, I have started to feel like it's okay for me to be there. Before that, mm mm-mm. I mean, before that, I would feel like unless I'm standing next to my my grandmother, my compulsion to tell you it's okay I'm Japanese, <laughs> you know, were, was there. Uh, now it's just like it is what it is. They'll see it or they won't see it. Um, in Houston, there is a Japanese market that I go to, and most of the time it's an it's it's a white kid or a Mexican kid or a non-Japanese Asian working the counter. So. I can be as Japanese as I want, but once I actually check out, I'm actually not interacting with another Japanese person. So it's a mixed bag. Yeah, it's weird. It's like forced, uh, whatever the opposite of assimilation is, like the forced, I it's okay for me to be here thing that I kind of put on when I enter spaces like that. That doesn't happen in black spaces. I'm just black. I'm just black.
1: Okay. So I, I know we don't know each other like that, but I would hope... <laughs> that um you know if you ever if you ever feel ready or open to it then you know you just know obviously you're not taking up space because this is you yeah yeah and that you know you have every right to be there um and i know you don't you don't I, i don't know i guess i just i hope you know that if that's not weird to say no I
0: do and I mean especially with the kind of work that I do with the show I mean I'm actively telling people like you're not taking up space you're just owning the space that you are a member of or you know something like that I, I try to like work on my wording that way and stuff and I do believe that it's not just stuff I'm saying to the people that I'm here that being said there are those moments of invalidation that even still to this day impact me where I feel like, uh, when you become something like a mixed podcaster, you get this sort of accidental expertise, accidental authority expectation from others. Others will have that, and so if I have a moment of invalidation, or if I or or I don't feel like I I can take up space, that you know someone will be like, no no no, if you can't take up the space, then I can't take up the space because you're the mixed podcaster, you're the person that needs to be able to take up the space. So that's, I, it's an accidental thing because I just happened to press record and decided to talk for the last four and a half years on mixed race identity. And so to a degree, I, I, I understand how I become an authority in that way. But at the same time, you know, I'm still a mixed person that on occasion, even in my most confident be your mixed-ass self moment will like something, the teeny tiniest little thing will hit and I'll be like, oh, suddenly I realize I'm not, you know, um, a f- I hate even to use these words because this is not what I want to say, but like a full member of that community, a full member of, you know, that kind of thing. But I still think my story is a part of the, the whole, you know, Japanese diaspora as a whole we have different uh, generations, especially here in the United States. You have your war brides, you have three tiers of war brides. You have your pre- internment and your post internment you know there's all different kinds of ways in which you can interact as a japanese person here but that divides us even further here so like i know some i i know some families that come from internment and they know a whole lot of internment families but they don't know a whole lot of families like mine and a lot of the families like mine know a whole lot of other families like mine but we don't know any internment families you know what i'm saying like that kind of stuff happens i think so yes to to go off of what you're saying i do I do for the most part feel like I can just walk in these spaces it's it's the way in which I, I think I pay deference in a Japanese space that I don't maybe necessarily in a black space because the way the way I'm welcomed as a black person there's no equivalent to that. In Japanese culture or Asian overall right like. um, in for to be to be the descendant of the african slave trade is to literally know that you were taken from your family, your home country and then you got here and you were further taken away from your family as they continued to buy, sell and trade your ancestors so that you, like when we meet other black people, we view each other as family because we might be. You know, we don't know that we're not because they literally sold our, our ancestors all over the country. Um, there's not an equivalent like that. So the way I can automatically gain membership in, in new black space, there's just not, I don't even have a way to explain that to, say, Japanese from Japan, if I were going to try to enter a Japanese space, you know, whereas I think other Asians where immigration was more of a necessity, uh, you know, uh they might get it a little bit more because they were maybe been driven out of their home country it's not quite the same but there's something that we can connect to right but yeah i can't just go to another japanese and and just be like we're we're both japanese solidarity there's just not a version of that
1: no i i really appreciate that you shared that with me thank you yeah and i i hope i hope what i said was not presumptuous i no really yeah. feel grateful that you know you've created this space for everyone to you know to hold and just be themselves
0: mm-hmm.
1: and so i i think so for me i think it just i, I do understand what you're talking about and it breaks my heart um, when i speak to other mixed-race have those similar experiences when mm-hmm. entering an asian space and And I hate that. I hate, um, like, I I hate that they experienced that. And I know, like, I've definitely been, I'm I'm not going to lie, I've definitely been guilty of doing that in the past. For instance, there was a a classmate, I think he was just trying to, you know, just be nice and relate to me. Mm -hmm. Like, we were one of the few, uh, like, mixed race Filipinos in our elementary school. Mm. And I think once he told me, at some point, I had experienced like a form of bullying and like microaggressive racism like where other kids would do the eye thing right right so i thought he was making fun of me so mm. initially my response was to curse that kid out and sure him to get out of my face you know and then once i realized like you know he was just trying to be honest with me and like share a moment i i saw him years later and i apologized i was like i had no idea and i'm I'm sorry, that that was wrong. Like, he was really nice about it, like, really gracious. So, like, I try really hard to just not work on it and not do that because, unfortunately, we grow up in a racist society and we have to, like, you know, we just have to do a lot of, like, unlearning, relearning, and just
0: yeah.
1: work to committing to I mean,
0: that. it's so hard to really hold stuff against us as children because, I mean, one, we're probably regurgitating something we've picked up you know from somewhere sure. and you need you need some element to come in and shift you right like you're not getting that when you're little so I mean if you get a chance to say something to says someone later in life that I, I think that's a great opportunity for your own healing and theirs too but looking back when I think about times like that I'm just like there's one in particular that I kind of bring up on the show on occasion it's, um, you know, my my grandmother being Japanese, I heard her talk shit about Korean stuff a lot. I didn't realize I was hearing that though. And I had a Korean friend, and I remember at one point just saying something about like, well, you know, Koreans, blah, 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 blah. And then going, "Oop, nope, that's not mine. <laughs> you know, like, I don't believe that about Koreans. And yet it just came out like, it's such a reflexi- res- reflexive type of thing of some, someone said something and I needed to validate a behavior that koreans have um and and then immediately it felt wrong so i i guess like enough work had been done for me to be able to catch when i'm also you know doing something but when it happened i was like oh my goodness how often have i done that and didn't catch it just because i have a you know the historical issues between korean japanese and so it's later in life that i realized Mm, Japanese was the aggressors in this situation so why is my grandma the one saying things like that you know that kind of stuff started to happen at that point so I you know I think it's nice when you re- realize it that you're able to be able to do something like either apologize or put it out in some kind of way through your work maybe or something like that if you can't get back to the people that you might have said something to putting it out there in the universe in some different way um, I think is is a healing for you and potentially if it gets back to those people healing for them too but it's such so, it's so tough right because you don't what you learn by osmosis and what you learn you know just seeing things happen you know that kind of stuff like oh yeah we'll be unpacking until our death <laughs> it's the worst part of um realizing the problems is that like it just changes how you interact with every single thing you do no
1: it it really does um but i think what is nice about for what it is i think what's nice about the time that we're currently living through is that there is at least space where people can just talk about Mm -hmm. it and say that we want to break this
0: generational Mm -hmm.
1: norm that's become so acceptable when it's It's
0: great I think yes it's painful and uncomfortable in a lot of cases but the conversations that I get to have with Asian Americans mixed Asians now that I did not have in high school that I did not have when I was younger uh, you know even a young adult like it's it's actually allowing me to feel more comfortable in even attempting to occupy an Asian American space when there was just, there was such a block for me when I was younger, because I was like, I already know I'm not welcome here, where now it's like, I don't know I'm not welcome here. <laughs> I just need to get in there and, and start mixing it up, I guess now. It is nice that we're able to do this a little bit more now. Because I think we're also learning how to communicate things that, that we don't even understand yet, you know, like, when I was in high school trying to get into the Asian Student Union. I didn't understand that the reason why I was being excluded from that place probably had more to do with me being Japanese than me being mixed. But I thought it was because I was mixed because the people who normally were in those groups when I was in school were mostly Chinese, Korean and Filipino, all people who my people oppressed. So was I being excluded because I'm mixed or was I being excluded because their whole lives they've only heard what negative things Japanese have done. And in my whole life, I've heard a Japanese person talk badly about these people. So in these moments when I'm trying to have Asian solidarity, neither of us knew how to communicate why we weren't comfortable sharing space. Now though, education about what Japan did across Asia education about how America as a whole views Asian Americans, Asian immigrants and uh, mixed Asians. Now I have more things, but I don't know how to talk about everything yet. I don't know how to identify all of the problems, but if I get into a conversation with a fellow mixed Asian or a fellow Asian, I can go, okay, but what about fill in the blank issue? And then because we're both in this world of of trying to understand, we're we're able to work it through instead of just acting like, no, 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 we don't talk about stuff like that, which I think is the generation of our parents and our grandparents. You didn't talk about those kinds of things. So you just move on. Where now, if there's some kind of divide or, or conflict between different kinds of Asians here in the States, we can turn around and be like, okay, well, let's let's figure this out. Let's work this back. We actually have maybe it's not the language we ha- we have the way to talk about things established a little bit better now.
1: I think so too and you know it's really interesting that you bring that up because i i think from for me it's still relatively new because i'll put it this way compared to a lot of other peers i feel like not that because obviously filipinos were not excluded from world war ii but i think when it comes mm. to talking about um trauma that a lot of aanhpi folks still feel because of world war ii um like i i I kid you not i once saw two classmates like get into a fist fight because of it (laughs) um i don't know exactly how it started but a few minutes later they were just like both on the floor and um i i guess because i didn't necessarily grow well i guess for one thing i did not grow up with um primarily here it's uh it was a Chinese, uh, Korean Mm. um, neighborhood, though there are like enclaves of like Japanese neighbors too. Mm -hmm. But I guess like that interaction for me wasn't necessarily there until like later on in life. So I guess what I'm trying to ask is, um, all right, I guess what I was trying to say is that I feel like now, like as an adult being in being like an AAPI spaces where that does come up sometimes Mm -hmm. unfortunately like I'm still trying to figure out like the best way to maneuver and have those conversations Mm -hmm. or like like you said to like check myself if Mm -hmm. I'm um from like oh wait no that was like an offhand remark why did I do that Mm -hmm. that's gross or do you feel like there are certain ways that you may still struggle Mm -hmm. um in those conversations or spaces
0: yeah yeah i think i mean like you said earlier this is such a good time because we've we've sort of been blasted with learning opportunities that you know we're we're getting to a place where we can start talking about this stuff a little bit more i think we're also getting used to being uncomfortable comfortable with being uncomfortable you know like it's okay for me to have this uncomfortable conversation right now, it's in fact important for me to have this uncomfortable conversation. Whereas I think in the past, it would have been just like, mm, not touching that, you know?
1: Right, oh, okay, no, no, I I totally see that. I guess I just mean like, if you feel that, oh, this has come to like an uncomfortable situation, like do you, like, I guess what is your, how do you feel like is the best way for you to, like, do you just process it? Because for me, it's like, okay, I am i don't want you to take me being silent as though I'm, like, angry mm. or I don't understand. I'm kind of just sitting with the information, and I will get back to you. <laughs> like, once it's, like, um,
0: you yeah. know, just
1: really gone through my brain or I've done more research, yeah.
0: I think it's fair now to actually say that, that part of um... – You know, maybe someone maybe you're in that middle of that conversation. Someone says, you know, you're being silent right now. Are you just like rejecting, you know, whatever, where you can go. um, I'm actually processing at the moment. I I'm I I'm hearing what you're saying, but I'm also trying to figure out. Before I just start talking, I want to, you know, I'm trying to figure this out. And I think I think now people are actually able to hear that versus needing to finish this conversation today or needing to finish this conversation in the moment. Um, which is probably what kept fights going for so long before, if you were in the middle of something, whereas I think now, and honestly, like it's a combination for me of starting this podcast and then what happened starting in 2020, um, is, is that between 2018 and 2020 of starting this podcast, I was learning how to have these conversations. I think there are times I did fine. And I think there are times I made mistakes and had to learn. And then as I learned and grow and incorporated this new knowledge, I became a better podcaster. Um, and the fact that I address the things that I learn about myself are problematic later on, I think that's what's kept the audience going and, and kept me doing this work. So, but what started happening in 2020 is really what got me into the conversation about Asian-ness and Asian Americanness. I think in particular, Is what I started to realize is the biases that I had against Asian Americans, mixed Asians in, you know, and Asian immigrants all had to do with like the way I thought I was being excluded in the past. So I had to work through that. So I couldn't really engage at first. Like I had to just sit and listen. And in doing that and taking those beats and now I can actively say, like, if you were to hit me with something that I'm not ready or don't have enough knowledge or awareness about yet, I would sit there and listen now. I might interject a little bit here and there, but one thing I've learned to say that I've probably you know, five years ago wouldn't have said is, um, I'm not exactly sure what I feel about that yet. I gotta think about it. And I don't think, I think I can say that in a way that convinces the person, I'm not trying to ignore this issue. But I'm not trying to jump on something and make some kind of declaration that I can't back up you know and if that means that I might also have to say you know what I'm gonna need to research that a little bit before I figure out how I feel about it I think what 2020 did was teach me how to do that you know I didn't know how to talk about uh violence against Asians prior to finally becoming aware of how much violence against Asians there were. I, it's not like I wasn't aware of it. I wasn't aware of it to the degree that I was aware of it in, in violence against Black people in the United States, right? I, I mean, I've, I've lived in more Black spaces, so it's easier for me to see it here. Um, so yeah, I think it, if I'm kind of answering your question, I think what, I'm, what I say is that now I'm identifying better when I don't know something. Whereas I think in the past I would have just talked through it and I would have probably made more mistakes, probably would have stayed problematic on the thought, you know, or something like that. And maybe even close to hearing someone go, wait, 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 you know, whereas now if I'm, if I'm not prepared to have the conversation, I'll be like, well, you know, can I just listen to you talk it through and then I'll do some research before, because I'm not ready. I think I've, I've learned that I can do that now and I didn't. I think it's a combination of the podcasting and the um the spaces I'm now putting myself in to have these conversations. I'm I'm actively engaging in Asian American spaces now and that prior to 2020 I was not doing that.
1: But no, I'm I'm really glad that you said that and I think it's it's really important. And and I agree. I think the pandemic and everything that's happened since has like allowed people to be vocal in a way be vocal but also understand like you know that person needs to just like take a step back and Mm. and um you know just think about the conversation and like if they want to look it up for themselves then they can they can do that and that's perfectly fine and it's i appreciate that you said that because i also feel like for me it it was kind of the opposite where like i didn't like i knew friends were talking about um you know the protests and marches around like Mm. 2015 and even beforehand but i don't Mm. think it fully hit me um like as to how heavy and um like the full scope of like the historical um uh, like the historical oppression of the u.s and i'm saying that as somebody who um you know for what it is like in all of its problematic um that mm-hmm. you know I do feel lucky having grown up here but you know as because we've grown up here and because you know we feel like any sort of tie like we we do have um we do have the opportunity to critique it and we should we should mm-hmm. take that opportunity at every occasion t- um, I agree yeah, yeah to critique that and so for for me in terms of like the black lives matter movement that I'm just saying that did not like it, it that really forced me to like take a step back and, and like really understand, um, like how, like this, yeah, like you said, just the scope of, Mm -hmm. of that and how it all kind of like comes together in that sense.
0: Yeah. And I think a big important thing that's, that, that comes with this period of time of us trying to figure out how to maneuver wokeness, if that's what we're still calling it is, is that. Not every cause is you have to agree with every aspect of every cause, right? Like sure. my critique of aspects of um the Black Lives Matter movement was when they stopped paying attention to the fact that the Black Lives Matter movement was created by a black queer woman and just left left queerness out of the conversation. and and then it, you know, it started shifting into being a predominantly, you know, focus on, you know, the killing of black people at the hands of the police, which is absolutely an important aspect of it. But also there is the sub version of it, I guess, where it's active killing of queer people, active queering of trans people, you know, things like that. The exclusion of them as part of the conversation. I have a critique of that. But in the beginning, I didn't feel comfortable being able to say, hey, but what about our queer folks, our trans folks and things like that? In the in the Asian stop Asian hate movement, my biggest critique, and that took a while to be able to talk about too, was the acknowledgement of what was what was similar between what happens with Black people and what happens with Asians, right? And that that, that was an opportunity for solidarity that was being excluded, that, that minor, model minority myth was being employed on the Asian side when this should have been a solidarity thing from JUMP. And it took me a while to be able to feel comfortable in Critiquing because I was like, you don't want to take away from the movement. Well, no, you don't want to take away from the movement, but you do want to acknowledge where we're still moving incorrectly. And I think it's a little bit easier to talk about that now. It was tougher to talk about it initially. And I think any future movements that are going to pop up, same type of thing, you're going to start out kind of not ready to talk about it correctly or you know maybe not even able to see some of the areas in which you know you are also being problematic um and i take it really hard when i find it you know when i find a bias or when one just surfaces like that and it the ones that bother me is when it comes out of my mouth so easily but that i immediately identify it as wrong those ones really bother me because i'm like I have enough tools to know that this is not a good thought, and yet that thought just escaped my mouth, right? Um, so I think this is a complicated time because you're learning how to address problems in real time and then immediately employing them instead of giving yourself time to absorb and process. Um, and I think we, you know, we need time to absorb and process, but we also need to stop problematic behavior as soon as it, as soon as we identify it, right? We may not always know why the behavior is problematic. It may just feel uncomfortable, and that's a different thing that we have to work with too. So I just think right now the best opportunities are things like this, podcasts or solidarity movements or you know, in-person spaces, uh, blogs and art exhibits and things that actually give us p- places to start the conversation, whatever that conversation needs to be about and and us get into it from there. And so I think it's important for people, you know, like us, creators of some sort um to be responsible. Actually, that oh man, I know we've already gone an hour, but that just opened up an idea for me that I do kind of want to talk about. The idea of um the stereotype of Asian immigrants in America wanting our families to be, you know, in the medical field or something like that because that's where the stability is. And yet art is usually what kicks off a movement. Art and creativity is usually what makes us identify problems in our culture and our society. And back in our back home countries, art was way more important in how things moved kind oh, of yeah. until white people got on boats, to be honest. But I, I know I bring up white people on boats a lot, but you see these major shifts in all of our cultures as you know that happens where our art changed after white people came on boats and and it also changes how we move to the rest of the world you don't want your art to be the reason our country is on the map you want you know this kind of success or whatever and yet it's it's the art and creativity that drives the movements and the and the change that's happening Um, even if you're not actively trying to be political in your art
1: yeah no i think that's a really solid point though especially because I, i think the first thing that came to mind when you said that even though this this artist is like a national hero, but they also have some stuff going on, I guess, if that's fair to say. <laughs> sure. Not not that they're exactly the same, but I guess kind of in the sense of like, um, you know, when people remember Martin Luther King, sometimes it comes up that he had an extramarital affair. This right. is the same case with Jose Rizal. He had an extramarital right. affair, um, but his works, um, like his, his, I think he had like three books one of which was like "No le metanga," which means like "touch me not." It was calling out um, Spanish uh, imperialism, and that's like one of the the biggest works to me that comes to mind in terms of like art combating Philippine um, oppression, right? Really like creating a whole movement to fight that. Um, no, that is a really good point, and it is sad um, because of the conditions that imperialism has has like led uh, our, con- our like ancestral countries, respectively, mm-hmm. um, that this is why, in a sense, there is like an, a lack of encouragement in terms of art, even though mm-hmm. they, can, they can do great things, and they are an essential part of our cultures.
0: Yeah, I agree with that. Um, but before we start wrapping up, I do like to ask all my guests uh, what they love most about being mixed, because sometimes we, d- we talk about the tough aspects of it. What is something you really love about being mixed?
1: What do I love about being mixed? I think, you know, it's funny. I think, I, I feel like things kind of start looking up for me around May or like around like the early summertime because you have um, ANHPI Heritage Month. So for me, that's like,
0: mm-hmm. oh, this
1: is where I feel the most comfortable in because mm. I can be both at the same time and as like it's it's not that i i don't know there's like an extra to me it's like an extra dot of like fearlessness in a way so i i can't really describe it honestly except that um this is just me and i will love who i am even if it makes other people uncomfortable
0: Mm. this is
1: just it is what it is and that's i i i'm sorry i know that's like a really cliched answer i, no, I really sorry, can't pinpoint any one thing and um if i may say though like when you were talking about the supermarket that um it actually made me remember something that actually does happen on a fairly regular basis that it's so funny that's at the supermarket so like um when i go to the asian mart for instance mm-hmm i'll try to because i i never grew up speaking mandarin or cantonese but i'll like try to mm. um engage a little bit just like simple greetings and stuff and I, I i kid you not people look so fed up with me at this point like because <laughs> they know i i don't speak the language right and that's kind of like and it's not just me it's like other asian americans sure if they, they see you and they think like you should know mm. um and that's usually what happens like i um, I think the last time I was there, the cashier kind of just let the receipt down at me, even though I saw that they gave the receipt and put it in the other customer's hand. Oh, wow. So it was just like, okay, great.
0: <laughs> That's it just... sucks, too, because you feel like right. they got to know that their families also had to assimilate. So, like, it's not our fault that our faces look this way, but our, you know, didn't have access to the language, you know?
1: Right. It's yeah, tough. exactly. Yeah. No, it, it, it is. It's tough. And, like usually if i go to like a filipino supermarket i'm, I'm either like korean or chinese
0: mm-hmm. so it's
1: not necessarily recognized although there was this one time even though it happened at a target i i'm still taking it this one time i stood next to um uh some filipinos and they were paying for their you know whatever they were buying and it, the the cashier thought that i was with them and i like took a step back and <laughs> a, win a, win. <laughs> a win
0: is a win Thank you, TikTok. Oh <laughs> a win is a win.
1: <laughs> oh my goodness! Oh my gosh! Is there is there anything is there anything new that you've discovered that makes you feel happy or proud as a mixed race person?
0: Um, I think for me, the biggest thing was last year I had won the best Asian stories. Colon culture and experiences category at the Asian American Podcasters Association, and um, I co-won it. There was there was two podcasts that that split that one. Uh, One was called Immigrantly, and one was Militantly Mixed. So we were we were both winners. Where being a quote full blooded Asian American was not the main part of the story necessarily. Well, in my case, it being What i shared was episodes of mixed asians and with immigrantly it was specifically the asian american immigrant story and stuff like that so i think uh what happened there is that it made me realize that i probably held myself back a lot just based off of stuff that happened when i was a kid or literally my family telling me you know you're not japanese because you weren't born there the ways in which i held myself back from participating in asian american spaces um you know was was sort of a self-inflicted detriment and I didn't realize that was happening and so when the people you know when we got the award and we got our chance to speak um the comment section because the awards ceremony was over zoom because of you know the pandemic the comment section lit up with how many people were also mixed Asians or how many people were like you're you're definitely Asian enough You're you're out here just being an Asian person and me being so surprised that there was that many people willing to accept me, I think that's the closest thing to it because it, it, it took, I, there's been so much active resistance on my part to allow myself to participate in these spaces to avoid rejection. And then to stumble into like so much acceptance, like it, it kind of sucks that it's, a, it's like an award is the reason why, but what other opportunities would these people have had to tell me that they accepted me? So it's not really like just a moment or, you know, uh, I mean, I would love it if I sat down in an Asian restaurant and they didn't take away the chopsticks or I didn't have to ask for the chopsticks. You know, um, I haven't had that moment yet. It's usually I have to ask for them Um, or they're going, hmm. You know, like, really? You want chops? You know, I wish it was something like that, where it's just like someone left them or put them down for me automatically or something. And I'd be like, that's, they're telling me they can see it. But I don't really have that kind of stuff. I, so the closest I can get to is just like finding the Asian American Podcasters Association and and getting welcomed by them has kind of created this like loyalty to that space for me of just like, if I'm going to if I'm going to do something, I'm going to start here because they've already shown me acceptance and then I'm kind of building building into other spaces from from the confidence that they gave me, I guess. I don't that's the closest that I can say to answer that.
1: First of all, very belated congratulations because that is amazing. <laughs> and no, I I know exactly what you mean about it. It but that's also kind of the best way. Like if it mm. could be anything, it's an award and that's yeah. fantastic.
0: Yeah. I was I was pretty excited. The other part is I I have to keep reminding myself that there's a colon culture and experiences because when I first saw it pop up, I just saw Best Asian and so like for a minute there I was just like I'm the best Asian. Yes, yes you are. <laughs> yes you are. As <laughs> dope. Best Asian. But yeah. Um yeah, it was it was really great and it it opened me up in a way that like I have now actively participated in Asian spaces or Asian American spaces um, since then that I I would not have dared before. Yeah. So there's that. Uh, why don't you tell everybody how to find you? And le- uh, I know you wanted to talk a little bit about an event that you have coming up. So why don't you share about that a little bit too?
1: Thank you. Thank you. Actually, um, if it's okay, um, you're talking about the award actually made me think You know what this is actually maybe not necessarily what i love about being mixed if that's okay but i think it just made me feel like i'm a step in the right direction and this is completely okay um if i just may say real quick um there there's a a small boutique store in astoria queen's it's called side b and a couple of times they have had events that showcased um Philippinex artists within, you know, the diaspora in any sense. Mm
0: -hmm. And,
1: um, yeah, just being able to do the work through, like, Diverse Streets Initiative, the um, multidisciplinary art collective I helped co-found, as well as just my own personal work um, to be recognized, um, to to, to just be recognized as someone who's also Philippinex Mm. really means a lot, and I explained it to them that you know, normally it's it's not always the case, or if it's, if I'm, it, it's not necessarily just like, oh, you're also Filipino. It's either like, oh, you're just in chick or you're yeah, um, like a mixed Asian person. So once I explained it to the owner, the next time I saw her, she made me like a little chinai bracelet. Aww. And unfortunately I'm not wearing it right now, but I like, I wear it, um, almost every day. And I think it just made me feel, it was just like a nice little moniker to have. It made me feel seen. and. It, I don't know, it just made me feel like, not that it's okay to be both, but I'm just, I'm here and this is great. Yeah. Um, in terms of where to find me, I can be found on my Instagram handle is kitch, but it's k.i.c.h. <laughs> <laughs> um, and you can also find us at Diverse Streets Initiative on Instagram, that's, uh, that's our at. And this coming March, we are going to, we're releasing a zine that relates to the themes of solidarity, safety, and homecoming. Because uh, Homecoming and belonging, excuse me, because in order to feel that belonging, to feel at home, you we kind of need to tackle the, the first two themes mm. of safety and solidarity. So that yeah. is where the founder Cairo Cuevas was having in mind when, when we were correlating uh, or solidifying the themes. And we're going to have a soft opening at Culture Labs in the beginning of March. Uh, where you can get a copy for yourself and see the work of the amazing artists that we work with.
0: Cool. Um, Send me all those links so that I can put them in the show notes so that people can look forward to it when it's coming. And I'll definitely share on the social media too when that stuff is happening.
1: Yeah, thank you so much. And thank you for having me today. It was really nice to finally meet you and just to be able to have a conversation.
0: Yeah, it was nice to meet you too. I've been seeing, you know, your picture pop up for for so long. And um, I also just love when I can connect to other people that do things. you know, like the, I mean, I really am just Pokemoning all the people the mixed people that I can, it's just like, ugh, I need, I need one of you. I need one of this. I need one of that. I just, I love having these conversations. I love learning perspectives that are different from mine and yet we're both mixed and, you know, things like that. It, it's so fun, but, um, but getting a chance to connect with someone that I can like identify as, you know, you know i've been identifying your your page and and uh comments and things like that so i i appreciate you uh coming on and sharing some time with me um i'm excited for your work and i hope that the zine and the the open goes really well so please please do share all that stuff with me so i can share it with everybody else and uh for everybody out there don't forget to be your mixed ass selves Militantly Mixed is a main Hustle Media podcast. Produced and hosted by me, Charmaine Fury. Music is by David Bogan The One. You can follow us on social media on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Militantly Mixed. If you'd like to become a sponsor of Militantly Mixed, please go to patreon.com slash militantlymixed for monthly sponsorship or paypal.me slash militantlymixed for a one-time-only donation. And if you like what you hear on Militantly Mixed, please subscribe, rate, and review on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. And don't forget to be your mixed-ass self. Main Hustle Media. Turn your side hustle into your main hustle.